0: Hi, my name is David Platt. <laughs> if you don't recognize me. <laughs> if you have a Bible and I, I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with let me invite you to open me to Mark chapter twelve. And as you're turning, I do want to welcome those of you in other locations around Metro DC, as well as those who are physically unable to be with us who are online it's good to be together around god's word and just a reminder for all of us uh, the plan is to come together this friday night at 7 30 from across all our locations here at tyson's to seek god together through prayer and worship for a few hours i encourage you to make it a priority to be here friday night but today is mother's day so i put on my sunday best in order to honor my mom, who I was talking with this morning, and other moms, including both physical and spiritual mothers and grandmothers in our gathering. And I'm always aware, we were just praying about this here at Tyson's, that this day carries all kinds of emotions, even in my own life and family. So I am deeply grateful overwhelmed really when I think about God's grace and my mom there's no question that I would not be who I am without my mom's selfless sincerely Christ-like love for me at the same time I'm saddened when I think about Heather's mom who died suddenly years ago and at the same time I am so grateful for my wife the valiant mother of our six kids. And I won't, but I could spend the entire sermon telling you how proud I am of the mom she is. At the same time, I can remember when we walked through years of infertility before we first adopted. And for those years, there were Mother's Days when we didn't want to be in church on this day because of the reminder it was of what we longed for that God was not providing, at least in the way or the time that we have in our minds. And I know some in our church family are walking that road right now. And while I'm thankful for adoption in our family story, and I'm so thankful for our children's birth moms, one of whom we know, but for some of our kids and for some others, there's a void in not knowing much, if anything, about your birth mom or not having ongoing relationship with her. So all those are just the emotions I personally experience on this day. I've not even mentioned mothers who've lost children, especially over the last year, or single moms who are doing so much on your own, or single sisters in our church family who may desire marriage or motherhood, and God has not, or at least not yet, fulfilled those desires. And then others for whom your relationship with your mom is is strained for any number of reasons. All this to say, there are a variety of emotions we bring into this gathering today, which is one of the many things I love about our God. And why I'm so glad you are with the church on this Mother's Day, regardless of what emotions you carry, because God invites you to bring all of your emotions to him. We read it this last week in the Psalms, Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Isn't it good to know? You're you're not intended to carry your emotions on your own or keep them to yourself. The Bible says, cast them, bring them to God in worship. Where there is gratitude in your heart, give gratitude to God. Where there is hurt in your heart, ask for healing from God. God. Cast all your thoughts, emotions, questions, longings on the Lord, and he will personally hold you up. And he's about to do that for us right now through his word. Though I need to confess, when I first realized that this next step in our journey through the book of Mark landed on Mother's Day, I got a little concerned. So we're going to read it in a moment, but just to give you an overview, it's a conversation between a group of people and Jesus about a woman who sees seven of her husbands die and then she dies. And I read that and thought, okay, how is this going to encourage mothers or any of us for that matter on Mother's Day? But the more I got into this text, the more I realized this is an awesome word on any day, including Mother's Day. So let's read it. Let's hear what God is saying to us right now. Remember the context, or if you haven't been here, if you're visiting with us today, here's the setup. It's Tuesday, and a variety of different groups are working together to trap and accuse and arrest Jesus. They will eventually succeed in doing that by Thursday, and Jesus will be dead by Friday. But on this Tuesday, after the chief priests and scribes and elders questioned Jesus' authority, so we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, Then the Pharisees and the Herodians tried to trap him in a political question, which we looked at last week. Now a group called the Sadducees comes to him. So quick background on this group. They were opposite the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council. So they were on the other side of the aisle. They were actually opposed to much of the Pharisees' teaching. The Sadducees believed that the most authoritative teaching from God was found in the law which is the first five books in the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And they didn't attribute much authority to any writings after that, including or especially the additional things that Pharisees taught. And specifically, the Sadducees didn't believe in things like angels or demons. And important for our text today, they didn't believe in life after death. They just believed that after you die, that's the end of your story. There's no resurrection of the body, no world to come. In all of this, they were a pretty wealthy, high class group with a lot of control over temple operations, which means they were not happy when Jesus started overturning tables there that Monday. So with that context, we pick up in Mark chapter 12, verse 18. The Bible says, and Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. So that's what we just talked about. That's one of their core beliefs. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Let me pause here, give a little background. They're referencing how Moses in the law, which by the way, the Sadducees believed God had set up a process In the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 25 and 26, specifically, that would provide for widows. Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy 25, sorry, verses 5 and 6. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And there were a variety of reasons for this in that day we won't get into. But to summarize, God was making a way for a name and a family to carry on in the event of a husband's untimely death. So the Sadducees knew and believed this law. But remember, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They thought that idea was preposterous, life after death, and they didn't see it taught in the law, these first five books of the Old Testament. So they make up a scenario in this conversation with Jesus to try to illustrate how preposterous the idea of resurrection or life after death is. The Sadducees say, so now back to Mark chapter 12, verse 20, there were seven brothers. Jesus, the first, took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring, and the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. You can picture the Sadducees almost laughing as they pose the question. You believe in life after death, huh? Well, does that mean this woman's going to have seven husbands forever? When marriage is supposed to be between... One husband and one wife. This life after death thing is going to be a mess, isn't it, Jesus? And in their attempt to ridicule him and to ridicule the idea of resurrection, Jesus responds in verse 24. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. That is quite an indictment. For religious leaders... So if I had to summarize where you're wrong, it boils down to you don't know the word of God or the power of God. Besides that, you're doing okay. (laughs) And you know, there's a whole sermon even right there. Is it possible for you to know God's word, but not God's power? Like you know what his word says, you've read it, you've heard it, you even believe it but you've not let its power soak into your life and your family, which you do on a daily basis. Maybe yours is a head knowledge, but not a heart knowledge. Or on the other hand, do you have a desire to experience God working in all of his power, but you're not actually spending time studying and meditating on and memorizing and knowing God's word? Or maybe you're missing both, like these Sadducees, You're not studying or meditating on, memorizing God's word, and you don't believe in the power of God in your life, in your family, your everyday decisions. God is saying right now, know my word and experience my power. God is inviting you right where you're sitting right now to know his word and experience his power in your life and your family every single day. So, I won't preach that sermon, though, although I kind of just did. But we're not going to camp out there. Back to the passage. And don't miss the connection with these Sadducees. Their lack of belief in the resurrection and life after death was evidence they didn't know the word of God or the power of God. So, in response to this hypothetical scenario of a woman who loses seven husbands, Jesus says in verse 25, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. I love that phrase. You are quite wrong. It literally means you're way off base. And here's how they were off base. Here's how they didn't know the Word of God or the power of God. So when it comes to the Word of God, Jesus quotes from God's Word to Moses through a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, which, by the way, is part of the law. It's part of what, of the word that these guys would say they did believe. Jesus says, in the law, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob were dead at that point. Yet God is still saying, I am their God. Which would make no sense if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had ceased to exist. If there was no life after death, if there's no resurrection, that would mean Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were just decomposed corpses. Turned into dust by that point. So it would make no sense for God to say, I am their God especially when God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob an everlasting covenant, a relationship with them that would never, ever end. But God is not God of the dead. He is God of the living, which means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. God is still their God, and his covenant relationship with them was still continuing. Jesus says, you Say you believe the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, but you don't even realize what the law teaches, that for all who trust in God, they experience eternal life with God. And then Jesus says, and here's how you don't know the power of God. Your mind is so small, your view of God so limited, you have no idea what God has in store after death for all those who trust in him. People who trusted in God when they die are going to experience life like they've never seen or imagined before that by the power of god will be like angels in heaven now at this point we need to pause and soak this one in first because there could be a lot of misconceptions here jesus did not just say that when we die we become angels with wings or whatever else angels have no the bible does not teach that people who trust in Jesus become angels when they die. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus just said, in heaven, we as humans made in the image of God, which is different than angels, we with human bodies are going to rise from the dead and we will be like angels in the sense that we will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So that's the way we're like angels. We'll neither marry nor be given in marriage, which then leads to the second reason we need to pause and soak this one in. Because Jesus did just say that we will not be married in heaven. And for anyone who is happily married here, this might sound like bad news. I've even heard people say, well, if there's no marriage in heaven, then I don't want to go. And I want to show you that that's a very foolish thing to say. And I want to show you that it's good news, actually really good news, that there won't be marriage in heaven. And I say this as an exhilaratingly, happily married man. Don't miss what Jesus is teaching about life after death for all who trust in him. Remember, that's the main point of the connection here with the Sadducees, this issue of a resurrection. And this hypothetical marriage scenario is related to that. So here's what Jesus is teaching about resurrection in heaven. You might write this down. Earthly pleasures we enjoy for a time are mere shadows of heavenly pleasures we'll enjoy forever. Earthly pleasures we enjoy for a time are mere shadows. Of heavenly pleasures will enjoy forever. And this applies to so many things, but let's think about marriage in light of this passage. Marriage is designed by God to be an earthly pleasure, to be close to, committed to one person, for that person to be close to you and committed to you, to share love with someone else at a deeper, truer, more beautiful level level than any other relationship in this world. All of that equals earthly pleasure, designed by God. Yet, at the same time, marriage is designed by God to be a picture, right? The Bible teaches very clearly that marriage is designed by God in this world to be a picture of the church as the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32 Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's marriage. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Husbands are supposed to love their wives in a way that pictures Jesus' love for the church. And wives are supposed to love their husbands in a way that pictures the church's love for Jesus, which means that marriage... Points to a much greater reality. Marriage is a shadow of the real thing, the relationship between Jesus and his church as his bride, which is why heaven is described as what? As a wedding feast. Revelation chapter 19 verse 6, very near, near the very end of the Bible, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb, that's a reference to Jesus, has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you see this? We won't, we won't need the picture of marriage between a man and a woman in heaven to point us to Jesus. As the one who loves us like a bride, because on that day, we'll have the real thing. We will be with Jesus as his bride. And we've talked about this before, just to make sure we're clear on this imagery, because it may feel odd for men to think, yeah, I'm going to be a bride one day. But... Picture what this means. To be a bride is to be united forever with someone who loves you, treasures you, and takes responsibility for providing you with everything you need. And Jesus will be that for us forever. And if you have a hard time with needing to be provided for by Jesus, then that is actually a problem with your pride. The beauty of heaven is that we will be with Jesus, And if that doesn't excite you more than anything else in this world, then maybe you have the wrong idea of heaven. Because the whole point of heaven is we're going to be with him. Side note, a lot of people, even Christians, when they think of heaven, just think of all the stuff we'll have and the things we'll enjoy more than we ever had before. And they missed the whole point of heaven. Heaven is not a place where we'll have all the finest things of this world. Heaven is a place where all the finest things of this world will not compare with the fact that we are with Jesus. Lift your eyes from things that don't matter to the one who ultimately matters. And if you love and want your husband or your wife more than you love and want Jesus, then you have made an idol out of your husband or your wife. For that matter, if you love or want anything or anyone in this world more than you love and want Jesus, then you have made an idol out of that thing or that person. The whole point of heaven is that we're going to have the real thing. Jesus a perfect relationship with him, perfect enjoyment of him, and he is infinitely better than the best things of this world put together. He's infinitely better than any marriage you can imagine in this world. Jonathan Edwards put it best. He said, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature, and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are all but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Earthly pleasures we enjoy for a time are mere shadows of heavenly pleasures we'll enjoy forever. In other words, there's so much more than we experience here to be experienced there in our relationship with God and, yes, with others. This doesn't mean we won't enjoy other people, all kinds of other people from our lives here and from all history. And, yes, for those whom God calls to marry in this world, which obviously is not everyone, this marriage relationship here is designed by God to be closer than any other relationship in this world At the same time, every marriage here on earth is still a relationship between two sinful people. And many have experienced this in a marriage that's been broken, and no longer exists. And as much as I love my marriage, it's obviously not perfect. I still have sin in me that affects my wife. She still has sin in her that affects my life. So, just imagine that relationship in heaven where there's no sin anymore. And then just imagine not just having that kind of sinless love for one other person and receiving sinless love from one other person. Imagine experiencing sinless, perfect love for and from every other person around you, including your wife or your husband. As you look back at the moments you shared on earth and you enjoy one another like you've never enjoyed each other in this world, while also experiencing a closeness with every other person who's in Christ that even in marriage on earth, you weren't able to experience. Literally, it will be one big, perfectly happy family. Is anybody else looking forward to a day where there is no more drama in family, just joy? We'll enjoy one another perfectly before our heavenly Father. See it. And this is what the Sadducees were missing and couldn't imagine. This is what the power of God is able to bring about. It almost sounds too good to be true. But don't doubt the power of God to bring this about. And I should add another side note here because I know some of you are thinking it. I'll speak generally in light of the different ages in our gathering, but what about, you know, that thing married couples do? (laughs) Is Jesus saying that won't be in heaven either? Well, think about it. That thing that married couples do leads to children being born, and that won't be happening in heaven. But still, some think, yes, but it's also a pleasure, and yes, it is, but... It's not an essential pleasure for individual human flourishing. If it was, then singles, including Jesus himself, would not be able to flourish. But this is the point. When you think about pleasures in this world, don't let your mind be small like the Sadducees. When God is saying to us in his word, trust me, I'm the author of all pleasure." And I have provided for you pleasures on this earth. But they're only a shadow of what's to come. So you think that? And by that I mean whatever pleasure there is in this world. God is saying, you think that is a pleasure? Just wait until you're in a new heaven and a new earth with no trace of sin or sorrow or suffering, just pure, absolute, unhindered enjoyment of me and each other and creation. Don't worry that heaven is going to be boring. You're going to be with me with heavenly pleasure to enjoy that will last forever. And that forever piece is awesome, isn't it? Forever. Because even the greatest pleasures in this world, even the greatest marriage, for example, in this world only lasts for a time. But in heaven, the pleasures will continue for all time. J.I. Packer wrote, hearts on earth may say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this ever to end, but invariably it does. The hearts of those in heaven say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. There's no better news than this. This is such good news. Earthly pleasures are mere shadows, which makes me think of C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. So this is a longer quote, but I think it's worth it. A little story time here. Listen to how Lewis in this imaginary tale intended to point to the realities that we're talking about. Listen to how he describes Narnia in a conversation between Lucy and Edmund and Peter. It's from the last battle. And I wish I could do the voices better, but I'm not going to try. So just just try to follow along with me. Those hills, said Lucy, the nice woody ones and the blue ones behind, aren't they very like the southern border, border of Narnia? Like, cried Edmund after a moment's silence. Why they're exactly like. Look, there's Mount Pyre with his forked head, and there's the past into Arkenland and everything. And yet they're not like, said Lucy, they're different. They have more colors on them. They look further away than I remembered, and they're more, more, oh, I don't know. More like the real thing, said the Lord Diggory softly. Suddenly, farsight, the eagle spread his wings, soared 30 or 40 feet up in the air, circled round, and then alighted on the ground. Kings and queens, he cried, we have all been blind. We're only beginning to see where we are. From up there, I've seen it all. Edensmure, Beaver's Dam, the Great River, and Carbarval, still shining on the edge of the Eastern Sea. Narnia is not dead. This is Narnia. But how can it be, said Peter? For Aslan told us older ones that we should never return to Narnia. And here we are. Yes, said Eustace. And we saw it all destroyed and the sun put out. And it's all so different, said Lucy. The eagle is right, said the Lord Diggory. Listen, Peter, when Aslan said you could never go back to Narnia, he meant the Narnia you were thinking of. But that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be here. Just as our own world, England and all, is only a shadow or copy of something in Aslan's real world. You need not mourn over Narnia, Lucy. All of the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And of course, it is different, as different as a real thing is from a shadow or as a waking life is from a dream. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Don't you love that? And one day for all who are in Jesus, we're going to come home at last to our real country the country where we belong, the land we've been looking for all our lives. And the things you and I loved most about this world, the earthly pleasures we experienced for a time here, will indeed have just been a shadow, a foretaste of heavenly pleasures we'll enjoy there forever. Just think of all the good things you enjoy and realize they're mere shadows. Of a substance to come. Which leads to one other word God is speaking to us in this text. And it's really another way of saying what we've already seen, but I think it's particularly important in light of the context of this passage in Mark. Did you notice how crass and unfeeling the Sadducees come across? They tell a story about a woman losing seven husbands to try to make a theological point while bypassing all the hurt and pain and heartache that would have been involved in that kind of situation. And I guess I'm particularly sensitive to this because as I was studying this text this week, I heard about an elder in the church that I used to pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, the church of Brook Hills. His name is Jared Kine. I think I've got a picture up here on the screen. Jared Kine died suddenly on Tuesday of this week. By all accounts, healthy and active. Doctors think it was just it was sudden cardiac arrest. And in an instant, he was gone. With his wife, Jessica, and their four young kids behind. And then I began to think of other similar stories in our church family. Even quoting C.S. Lewis made me think of Lee Vaughn, as Lee and Ellen. And their kids and grandkids read the Chronicles of Narnia to each other, as Lee prepared for his homegoing this last year. So I also want you to hear this second word from God in this text. Here it is: "Indescribable sorrow in this world will one day turn into inexpressible joy in the world to come. Sorrow will turn to joy. I think about reading the Psalms this last week, Psalm 56, God sees your sorrow here. He counts your tossings in your bed. He holds your tears in a bottle. And God guarantees you, God guarantees you that one day your mourning will turn to dancing. Your sorrow will turn to joy. For, and please hear what I'm about to say, for all who trust in Jesus. All that we're seeing today is true only for those who trust in Jesus. The problem in this world is sin, and not just sin in the world generally, but sin in each of our lives specifically. We have all sinned against God, and as a result of our sin, we will die in this world, and we all deserve eternal judgment away from God. But the good news of the Bible is that God loves us and God has made a way for us to be forgiven of all our sin and restored to relationship with Him. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So I ask you, every single person within the sound of my voice, have you put your trust in Jesus and what he did on a cross to pay the price for your sin? Have you put your trust in Jesus as the Lord of your life to reconcile you, restore you to relationship with God now and forever? If not, I invite, I urge you to do that today. In this moment, this is the greatest news in all the world. God has made a way for you to experience eternal, everlasting pleasure, life with him through Jesus. This is really good news on Mother's Day. So, for all who feel gratitude on this day, give thanks and praise to the God who is the author of every good gift including your mom, your physical or spiritual mother, or your children. And as you think of the many good gifts God has given you through your mom, or as a mom, or in moms around you, realize all of those gifts are just shadows of so much more to come. And for all who have hurts, heartaches, unmet expectations, unfulfilled longings on this day honestly express those to God and trust in His power to sustain you to hold you up and not just to sustain you but to satisfy you with Himself now and for all time so I want to lead you to Reflect and pray in light of this closing question, in light of all God has spoken to us through this word. How should belief in the world to come change the way you live in this world this week? I might even make it more specific. How should belief in the world to come change the way you live are thinking and feeling even right now. So just spend some time thinking through, praying through that question and then I and other location pastors will lead us after that. God, show us in each of our lives in this moment how belief in the world to come changes our thoughts, our desires, our perspective, our actions, how we think and live right now and and specifically in the coming week. As you are speaking to God, God's speaking to your heart, I invite you just to keep your heads bowed with me. I I wanna ask that question specifically all across this room. Have you trusted in Jesus as the Savior and Lord of your life? If the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, I just wanna invite you right now to say to God, God, I wanna be restored to relationship with you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the dead in victory over the grave for me so that I might have eternal life Jesus says in John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, he will live. Jared Kime and Levon are more alive today than they've ever been before. With Jesus. So as you put your faith in Jesus know that God forgives you of all your sin and restores you a relationship with Him not based on what you do but based on His love for you. God, we praise you for the gospel. We praise you for the good news it is every day and for the good news it is specifically on Mother's Day. with all the different emotions we have in This room, even, I want to lead us to pray in a couple of specific ways. First, I do, I want us to pray for moms, for moms all across this room. So if you are a mom, in just a moment, I'm just going to ask you to stand up, and we're just going to pray for you. We're just going to intercede for you specifically. So if that's you, if you're a mom, would you just stand up where you are all across this room? As you stand, we want you to know specifically as a church family, your church family, we honor you. We love you. We praise God for his grace in your life. We praise God for the selfless sacrificial love that you show to your kids and we we know you don't always feel perfect but we have those of us who are sitting have no idea how you do what you do apart from god's grace it would be impossible and we are so thankful for god's grace in you so Can we, all of us, just stand up, put our hands on the shoulders of these moms and let's intercede right now. I'll just voice a prayer, but let's the rest of us stand up. Let's make sure we've just got a a hand on the shoulder of every mom in this room. And you can feel free to pray out loud as I'm praying if you'd like, or you can feel free just to amen what I'm praying. And God, we, we praise you for these moms. We praise you for the gift that they are of your grace. We praise you for the way you have blessed them with children. We praise you for the love you have given them for children. It's a reflection of your love for us. And God, we pray for your blessing on them We pray for your strength over them and their weakness that you would give them strength, uphold them with your righteous right hand, that you would greet them as you promised to every morning with new mercy, sufficient for that day's troubles, for that day's tasks. God, we pray for your peace over them. You'd guard them from being anxious about anything. Deliver them from worry about anything. Help them to trust in you with a peace that passes all understanding. Guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, we pray. We pray for your wisdom over them. God, give them a spirit of wisdom as they navigate all the moving parts in their lives. You give them wisdom to see like you see, think like you think, to desire what you desire. God, we pray more than anything that you would make these moms more like Jesus, that your spirit in them would conform them more and more and more into the image of Jesus. God, we praise you for your forgiveness when they fall. We pray for your mercy that lifts up their heads. God, may they walk today and every day in the honor you bestow on them. That they would know that just as their children are fearfully and wonderfully made in your image, that they are also fearfully and wonderfully made in your image. That you would draw them, we pray, into ever deepening intimacy with you, that you would bless their relationships with you above all, and that their lives and their mothering specifically would be the overflow of walking in love relationship with you. We pray, God, Psalm 67 over these moms, be gracious to them, bless them, and cause your face to shine upon them, that your ways may be known through them, your saving power even known in the world through their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You can have a seed, And then I want to pray for one group of people. Yes, let's give it up for these moms. You can have a seed, And I I want to lead us to pray for one other group. And, And I'm going to make it pretty general. But I just want to pray for anyone, everyone who comes into this day, comes into this moment with the kind of hurts or heartache that we've been talking about. And that could be for any number of reasons. It could be from desire to be a mom and God not providing in that way. Or similarly, alongside a mom, a desire to be a dad and God's not providing in that way. Or again, there are so many other uh, reasons why you might come into Mother's Day with just some hurt and heartache, and I want us to pray specifically for you as well. And so if you would say, yeah, I'm in that category, and this could be women or men. So it could be kids, so from young to old, uh, men or women. Just if you bring into, maybe you've lost your mom over the last year. Maybe your mom is really struggling. There's so many different circumstances. But if you would just say, yeah, I, I would love for some people to pray either for me or, or my mom specifically because of some hurt and heartache that's there. Would you stand where you are? So you may be standing in your own life or you may be standing on behalf of a mom who is sick or a mom who is struggling in a particular way. So if there's any level of a hurt or heartache that you're bringing into today and you would just love for us to pray specifically for you Anybody else? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. There's a variety of people standing all across this room. And the Lord alone knows those situations. But can I just invite the rest of us now to stand? And if there's somebody standing near you, let's go put a hand on their shoulder. And uh, if you want, you can share your name. But you don't have to go into details of all the things that are going on in your life right now. But let's just pray again. You feel free to pray if you want out loud. I'm going to voice a prayer for us. Oh, God, we praise you as the one who knows, who is very familiar with, more familiar than even those who are standing with the sorrows and the hurts and the heartaches that are represented here. And we just pray Psalm 55. We cast our burdens upon you, and we pray for your sustenance. God, we pray for your upholding That's what we read in the Psalms this week. The Lord is my helper, the upholder of my life. God, uphold these brothers and sisters and, and others who they represent. God, we pray that you would uphold them. You would show yourself strong on their behalf. You would show yourself as Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is peace. You would show yourself as sustainer, as strength as the rock and refuge that we read about in the Psalms this week. God, that they would know that you are near to them when they call to you and that you promise to help them in every way they need. God, supply all their needs according to the glories of the riches that are available in Christ Jesus. We pray for peace and strength and joy and hope and hard days, God, we we pray that you would meet each of these brothers and sisters exactly where they are, that even right now in your church surrounding them, they would know they are not alone, that you are with them, that you are for them. And. Pray Isaiah 43 over them, that when they pass through the waters, you will be with them. When they pass the rivers, they would not sweep over them. When they walk through fire, they would not be burned, because you are the Lord their God, and they are precious and honored in your sight, and you love them. That you would deliver them from all fear, and you would replace fear with faith. With just trust in you. Keep them in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. We pray for healing where healing is needed, God. Just pray for your grace in every way over all these situations in ways that draw these who stood closer to you and others closer to you. Show your glory, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.